morning. It's a privilege to be able to open God's Word this morning with you. I've um, been doing a, a series in our junior high Sunday school class on, um, on the book of Exodus. And uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, so I'll apologize right now to some of my students. They're going to hear something they probably, they, well, they did. They already heard a number of weeks ago. But I, I felt like it would be a message that would be appropriate for me to share with you this morning in terms of partnering with God. And uh, so we're going to do that. Um, you know, in general, we live pretty mundane lives. And what I mean by that is, generally speaking, we only experience a handful of events that are life-altering uh, events. You know, for example, what, what we do with Jesus, um, who we marry, uh, possibly your career. Also, you know, we may have, have some, some traumatic experience that happens in our life, possibly a, an extreme trial, or, or maybe even an extreme blessing that comes into our life. But, but you know, that's really it. Now, while we only experience a few life-altering events in our life, I, what I, mean, I don't mean by that is that life is supposed to be, be boring or that there's not excitement that we have in life. I mean, God invites us to partner together with him so that we can experience him working life-changing events in other people's lives. And, um, and so that's what we're going to take a look at. We're going to take a look at an account this morning that is a life-altering event. It impacts not only Moses, but it impacts the, an entire nation. The God who has been silent for 400 years while the uh, Israelites have been in bondage in Egypt now breaks the silence and, and comes on the scene and he's going to reveal himself to them in miraculous ways to rescue the Israelites. And uh, with that, let's, let's pray and then I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to, uh, to Exodus 3. Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you, Father, that you are God that we can know. Thank you, Father, that you've given to us your word, and I pray. I pray right now, Lord, as we open your word, that you would speak to us, help us to hear what it is that you want to say to us, help us to be good listeners. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us. We pray, Father, that, that you would have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, if you take your, your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, is where we're going to start. The story is probably familiar with too many of us. Uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange thing. Why the bush does not burn up? Well, let's stop right right there for, for just a second. I mean, the first thing we notice in this passage is that God is getting Moses' attention. Um, and at first, it appears this, this appears through just an, an ordinary event, a bush that's on fire in the desert. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure that, that that would have been something that Moses probably would have seen before in his 40 years of being in the desert. Matter of fact, right now in, in our area, it's been really, really dry. There's been a burning ban on, and there actually has been some wildfires. One of our college students in our college ministry, that's one of his jobs. Is he works with the DNR is to help put out wildfires. So it's not an unusual event for us this time of year. And certainly, I don't think it would have been a big deal for there to be a bush on fire in the desert. You know, most likely um, Moses would have seen that before. But, th but at this one, something caught his attention. And it was the fact that as he got closer, he realized that even though it was on fire, it wasn't burning up. And I could just ask you this question. What kind of things has God used in your life to get your attention? You realize that God is, is sovereign, which means that nothing comes into our lives that doesn't first pass through his hands 
uh, first. And I, I want to suggest to you that God wants to use the circumstances of our lives for his good, for our good, to make us more like Christ. I mean, last time I, I preached, I preached from Romans 8.28, and that's really what the gist of that, that passage is, that God is sovereign and God wants to use the circumstances in our lives for our good. So again, let me ask this question. What kind of things has God brought into your life to get your attention? I, uh, I remember a, a, a number of years ago, one of our, our students in our youth ministry was in a car accident where he totaled his car. And, um, and so I, I, I got a chance to talk to him about that, and I asked him, you know, you know, what was going on with that? And he said to me, well, God was trying to get my attention. He said, I haven't really been walking with God. I haven't been living for the Lord. And that near-death experience was a wake-up call for me. Um, I know for me personally, remember a number of years ago where God got my attention with water. Um, our dishwasher leaked. It ran all, all over the hardwood floors. It ran down into the basement. And, you know, it was, just, it was just water. It was just water. But God showed me very, very quickly that I really am not in control of my life. Um, as much as I would like to think that I am, something as little as water totally disrupted my life. And, and, and again, it turned it upside down. I think God was trying to, he's trying to say to me, um, you know, Sheldon, I'm the one who's in control. You really aren't. Um, so the question is this. Is it possible that God is orchestrating some circumstances in your life right now because he wants to get your attention? Well, let's continue reading and see what is God trying to say here to Moses. So picking this up in verse 4. It says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, Moses called to him from within the bush. Now, I don't know, but maybe with a little imagination. But I just, I just read this passage, and, you know, so Moses is going. He's walking over towards the burning bush, and when he gets really, really close, then God calls out. And, and it, I was like, I just imagined Moses jumping back and, and being startled. But he says here, Moses, Moses, and, and Moses says, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And that he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Um, so here we read that, that God now is calling to Moses. He gets his attention, but now he calls him. Moses tells us in this account in verse 2, it says here that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames. Now, Bible scholars would suggest to us that this very well may be the pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. In other words, th this is Jesus before he took on flesh and became a man. You know, at first, th this, this burning bush w was a curiosity to Moses, but when he gets closer, you know, and, and this bush, and now there's this, this God calls out to him, I mean, you can imagine this, this startled him. I mean, I, I can imagine that Moses is looking around, it's like, who, who just called my name? And then he realizes that the voice is coming from within the bush, and it tells him not to come any closer, remove his sandals, and now that he's standing in holy ground. And, and in verse 6, it says here that God, God is revealing himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the covenant-keeping God, the God who keeps his promise. He's going to keep his promise that he made to Abraham, that he's going to make the descendants of Abraham into a great nation. Now question, how would you respond if that happened to you? Well, Moses responds in this passage, says he responds with fear. 
he, he's afraid, and, he, and it says he hides his face because he's deeply moved because he realizes he's in the presence of a holy God. And so, so God calls Moses. Well, let's see what God says to Moses. Let's pick it up, verse 7. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Um, if you do have your, your, uh, your worship folder, if you want to take, there's a place for you to take some notes on that. Um, so the, the next thing we see here is God's message, God's message to Moses. And the first thing we see here is that God reveals that he is the compassionate God. He's the compassionate God. Notice the verbs that, that God uses that he expresses here. He says in verse 7, I have seen. I've seen the misery of my people. In verse 9 he says, I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. He says, I have heard. I've heard them crying out. I have, I'm concerned about, about their suffering. I mean, all of these verbs reveal to us that, that God is a God who cares. He is not a God who sits in heaven unaware of or unconcerned about the affairs of men. He is a compassionate God who cares about his people like a father cares about his children. I mean, the second thing that we see here is that God is an imminent. He's an imminent God. I mean, the idea of imminence is the fact that God is not distant from us, but that he has come near. He is involved in the affairs of men. You know, sometimes people say, they, they say something like this, well, you know, God got the world started, and then he kind of stepped away from it. But that is not what we read in the, in the, the text of Scripture. God is involved in the affairs of men. Notice it says in verse 8, it says, I have come down to rescue them, to bring them into a good, into a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, does, does that sound familiar to you? God is a God of, of rescue. I mean, I, I just imagine thinking that indeed if this is the incarnate Jesus, that he hears that and he thinks about the day when he's going to come down and he's going to ultimately rescue all of us from oppression of our sin. See, we don't serve a God who is distant from us. No, we serve a God of rescue. A God who desires to set us free from, from bondage, from, from addiction, from, from sin. And so we see here that, we, that God is a God of compassion. We see here that God is a God who is imminent. And then we also see here God reveals that he is a commissioning, a commissioning God. While God is going to rescue his people in verse 10, God says to Moses that he is going to do it through Moses. He says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now how are we supposed to think about that? Um, you know, it's not like God needs to use us to accomplish his purposes. God is more than able. Um, he doesn't need to use us, but Scripture is very clear that God has chosen to use us. I mean, God is a commissioning God. 
God commissions Moses to return to Egypt to stand before Pharaoh and to speak on behalf of God. And, and quite honestly, this is not unlike the commission that God has placed on all of us as believers. In, um, in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 and 20, uh, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, and he, God, has committed to us, to all believers, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You realize the greatest need that, that our world has and the message that has been, been entrusted to only to the church. Now think about that for a second. The greatest need that the world has and the only ones that that, that message has been entrusted to is to you and to me as believers, to the body of Christ, to the church. The only hope of the world is the gospel. And if we want to see our culture change, it is going to be because people have their hearts changed through an encounter with God because they have heard the good news of the gospel. Do you realize what that significance that means for you and I as members of the church? I mean, what is the job of an ambassador? An ambassador goes to another country, and they do not administer their agenda. They don't speak on their behalf, but they go and they speak on behalf of the one who has sent them. Um, in this case, we speak on behalf of God and share the message that he has given to us, and the, the message is very clear. Be reconciled to God. It is possible for us to be able to be in right relationship with God it is possible for the barrier of sin to be removed and for you and me to be forgiven. God came through Jesus Christ to rescue us, to rescue us from sin and from rebellion. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. We, talk, we sang about that this morning. He took the punishment we deserve by dying on the cross so that all who accept that payment can become children of God. And again, if you sit here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus to be for your forgiveness of sin, the greatest need that you have as you sit here this morning is to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ and to put your faith in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Now, for those of, us who, those of you who are here who are believers, when you hear of God's commissioning in your life, I mean, what kind of thoughts come into your mind? I mean, how do you respond to that call? I mean, you're like, yes, that's so exciting. Or, you know, or fear, that's what we see here. Or, or is it feelings of, man, I am so inadequate for that challenge. I, I just, I can't do that. Well, let's see how Moses responds. Um, Moses responds in verse 11. Let's read what he says. But Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, basically what we see here is Moses responds to God with questions. And his first question in his response, he says, who am I? Who am I? You realize 40 years prior to this, Moses had, had identified himself with, with the Israelites instead of with Pharaoh. You remember he was, he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and, and for 40 years he was brought up in all the ways of Egypt and... and, and um, and, but there came a time in his life when he, he forsook that. He, he identified with the Israelites instead. 
and he tried to intervene. And, and when he did that, the Israelites looked at him and said, said to you, who made you ruler and judge over us? Basically, what they were saying is like, who died and made you king, right? I mean, who made you boss? And, and if you remember the account, it, it didn't go so well. M Moses ended up committing murder. He tried to help, didn't go well. He committed murder. He ends up running for his life. And now, now Moses is asking, who am I? Who am I to deliver the Israelites? I tried and I failed. I, I committed murder trying to do that. I, surely I've got to be disqualified for this. My life is too messed up. And so we can understand his hesitancy, can't we? But let's think about it. Why is it, why is it that he failed? I mean, quite honestly, why is it that we fail? He had a good desire, but he made it all about him. He tried to do it in his own strength. He tried to do it in his own timing. He, and he tried, quite honestly, he tried to do it without God. And, and when people ask questions like, who am I to make a difference? I mean, think about it. In, in our culture, what is the normal response that we oftentimes hear to that question? Who am I to make a difference? You know, oftentimes the way that we, we hear the response is, you're amazing. You can do it. You just got to believe in yourself. Follow your heart. You try hard, you can do anything. Isn't that what we hear in our culture today? Right? And that may be, it's like, that's what we need. Yeah, you just need to keep saying that to yourself. Or possibly, you know, we think about issues and about our abilities or, or our lack of abilities or our pet, past failures. What's going on? We are forgetting who created us who gave us the abilities that we have. You realize that God can use us no matter what our abilities, if we get, if we give them to him. Because God's call isn't all about us. God's call is all about him. And if you want to turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4 verse 10 Moses is still making excuses as to why he's not God's man, why he's still unqualified. And in verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says, O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. Which, just a side note, that wasn't even true. In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Stephen, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is talking to the leadership there, and this is what he says about Moses' ability to speak. He says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. It wasn't even true. It was an excuse that Moses was using. But even if it was true, even if it was, it wouldn't have disqualified him from being an instrument that God can use because we have to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto God. I mean, notice how God responds to Moses in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. He says, he asks this question to Moses. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord, now go? I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. I mean, basically what's going on here, God takes offense to what Moses is saying. Because Moses is implying that the reason that he is not qualified is because God messed up. I mean, basically he's saying, hey, if I was a better public speaker, then I would be happy to go. I mean, God tells Moses 
that he was created by God just as God wanted him, and it wasn't about his abilities or lack of abilities. This was an issue of obedience. And whenever you look at yourself and you use, you use yourself or, or excuses like that not to obey God, do you realize basically what we're doing is we're blaming God for our disobedience? I mean, if you remember, you remember in, the book, in, the, in the book of Genesis, Adam tried that. Adam, um, you know, ate the forbidden fruit. He was disobedient to God. And, and God, when God showed up, God came to him, and Adam said this. He said, well, the reason that, that, that I ate the forbidden fruit was because of the woman that you gave me. You realize what, what, what he was doing there. And, and you realize as well that God didn't accept it then, and he doesn't accept those excuses today either. Now, notice what, what, how God answers Moses back in chapter 3, verse 12. So Moses asked the question, who am I? Now notice how God answers the question. God says to him in verse 12, I will be with you. That's his answer. I love that. God doesn't say anything about Moses. God doesn't try to even answer Moses' question. God seeks to refocus Moses' attention from looking at himself to what? To focusing on God. What is important is not the instrument in God's hand, which in this case is Moses. But what is important is the one whose hands the instrument are being held by. See, the issue is not who is Moses. The issue is whose is Moses. I mean, think about it like this. Think about if you're going to go have surgery and and the surgeon has all these scalpels available to him. uh, Do you really care? I mean, if you're the one who's having surgery, do you really care which scalpel he uses? Or do you care which surgeon the scalpel happens to be held by? You know? I don't think we really care about, right, which, which scalpel, but we certainly care about the skill of the surgeon. And, and so God promises Moses that his presence will go with him. Moses is just an instrument in the hand of God. And God does the same thing for you and for me with the Great Commission that is given to all of us as believers when he tells us to go and to make disciples. And you remember, he starts out with his authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. All right, go make disciples. And then he says, for lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You see what? He's basically saying the same thing to all of us. In our commissioning, he says, I will be with you. God has chosen you to take the gospel message to your neighbor, to your coworker, to to your classmates, to your friend, and he promises that he will go with you. And you ask, well, who am I to share the gospel with them? And God says the same thing to you that he says to Moses. And he says, this isn't about you. I will go with you. I um, read some different blogs, and I I came across this um, Adam Ramsey in an article he wrote entitled The Secret to Finishing Well. He says this, He says, Jesus is not disillusioned with your insecurities or weaknesses because he never had any illusion about you when he saved you in the first place. Because of his work, we don't have to hide and we don't need to impress. The good news is we don't need to be impressive or spectacular for God to do great things through us. We just need a poverty of spirit that makes a space for him to show show off what only he can do. Jesus doesn't want our strength. He wants to give us his strength. 
I mean, how often is it that we sell, we, we sell God short in our lives? We, we say to ourselves, well, well, God can't use me to accomplish anything. You realize you may not be much, but God is. God is amazing. He, he can do great things if we're willing to trust him and to obey him. And God promises that he will be with us. God is the one who does the work. We're just the messengers. We don't save anybody. We don't change anybody. But God does. Now, I want you to notice in the passage, so the first objection here that Moses has is, who am I? That's the first question. Now, he asks another question, too. The next question that he asks, look at verse 14, or verse 13. Moses' second question, he says, suppose that the Israelites asked me who sent me, what shall I tell them? And God's response reveals his character, and he says, tell them that I am who I am sent you. Now, what does this name of God tell us about the character and the person of God? First of all, I am is the God who always exists. He always exists. I am is the present tense verb, all right, because God exists outside of the realm of time. He is eternal. He's always been he always will be. He is, I am. Now, I know we have a hard time wrapping our mind around that. We have a hard time wrapping our mind around an idea of, of an eternal God, one who has always been. Um, but you realize if you reject the idea of God's being eternal, uh, you're still left with a dilemma. Because if we ask the question, well, then where did we come from? I mean, oftentimes the answer that we hear is, well, we, we came from as a result of the Big Bang. Well, then we could ask the question, well, where did the matter for the Big Bang come from? And, and some people would say, well, it just came out of nothing. Well, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. We could say, well, God came out of nothing. All right, so that doesn't help. Or some would say, well, the, the matter for the Big Bang is, is eternal. It's always been. But if you're going to say that, then you might as well you come back to the same place that you were before, and that is that God is eternal. He's always been. So you realize that to reject the fact that God is eternal doesn't solve your problem. And the Bible teaches that the God of the I am always has been. All right, so that's the first thing. The God of the I am reveals to us that he's always existed. Secondly, I am is the God who exists independently. God is self-existent. He has no creator. He exists apart from dependence upon anything or anyone. He does not need help to exist or to accomplish his will. Nothing can prevent God from accomplishing his purposes, his plan, his will. I am is the one who is independent of that. So thirdly then, I am is the God who exists not only in, in eternally and independently, but also unchangeably. He is not the one who was anything in the sense that he changes. He is perfect. For him to change would make him less than perfect. Whatever he was, he always will be. His promises will never change. He always keeps them, and whatever he promises will never fail. So Moses and the, the people of Israel can be assured that God will deliver them from Egypt. They can have full confidence in the God of the I Am. And if you know anything about the, the rest of the book of Exodus... The rest of the book of Exodus is the God revealing the power of God. And he does that through the ten plagues, which basically are mockery of the gods of, of the Egyptians because they are false gods, and the I am is the only true God. 
You know, it, it's interesting. In the New Testament, we, we get glimpses of the power of the I am. And probably one of my favorites is in John 18, 6. You remember, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's surrendering himself to the, the detachment. They sent hundreds of soldiers. They sent the Pharisees, the chief priests. They all came to arrest him so that they can crucify him. And when they come to him, Jesus looks at him and he says, who is it that you want? And, and they tell him, we want Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus' response is, he said, in John 18, 6, he says, I am he. And you know what happens, you know, according, what, if you read that passage, what happens when Jesus says, I am? Everybody, all the hundreds of soldiers, the high priests, all the disciples, everybody, they all fall backwards. Fall, they fall backwards on their, on their butts. You know, they, they fall down. And I joke with my students, and Jesus just walked away and said, okay, we're, we're gone. I mean, no, that's not what happens in the passage, right? But you realize, I mean, that was the power of God. So you realize Jesus didn't go to the cross because he couldn't, st- he couldn't stop what was happening. It wasn't like it wasn't because he didn't have the power. He's the God of the I am. He has all power. The reason Jesus went to the cross is because he loves you and me. And we sang about that this morning. Jesus died in our place. He is the God of rescue. He is the God of all power. See, the issue of Christianity and faith isn't about how great we are, but about how great is your God, how great God is. He's the God of rescue. He is the one. I mean, you realize Scripture says this. I mean, it says what? Faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. And what's the point? See, it's not the amount of faith you have. It's the object of your faith that makes all the difference. All right, now, some takeaways then. God called Moses to go to Egypt as his spokesman, as his spokesperson. Similarly, God wants to partner together with each one of us to make a difference for his kingdom. God wants to partner together with us. For Moses, that meant that he needed to stop looking at himself and the reasons that he felt disqualified. And similarly, for us, to be used by God, we need to get our eyes off of ourselves. Now, this includes areas that we may think that we're inadequate like Moses felt like. You know, I, I can't do this. You know, get somebody else. I, I'm, not, I'm not qualified for this. You know, I've messed up too much. I have too many failures in my life. I tried and I failed. You know, so, so it, it deals with getting our eyes off of it. We feel inadequate. But it also includes that we may think we don't need God's help, you know, Hey, just believe in yourself. You can do it. Just work hard, right? Well, you know what? We need to get our eyes off ourselves if that's the way we think too. And then thirdly, Moses needed to put, take his eyes off of himself, but Moses needed to put his eyes on God. He is more than worthy. And similarly, we need to do the same thing. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes on God who promises that he will always be with us. Now, question. How is it possible for us to do that? Because when I, when I say that, because, you know, oftentimes we, okay, this is what the Bible tells us we're supposed to do, and then we feel like, man, I can't do that. Well, how is it possible for us to do that? You know, the reason it's possible for us to do this is because in Christ it has already been done. Therefore, we can go and do it. Well, what do I mean by that? We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves that God is the God of rescue. What does the gospel tell us? Well, for those of us who would sit back, who would say today, you know, I feel like a failure, I feel inadequate, I don't feel like I can do that, 
you know, this is too much. I have too much sin in my life. I'm too messed up. What does the gospel say to us? The gospel says to us that our sin and our failures aren't final. Jesus came. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made new creatures in Christ, so that we could be given a second chance. So what does that do for us? That lifts us up to be victors, right? Because now that we're in Christ, we're clean vessels that are fit for the master's use. So that removes that argument. Well, what about on the other hand, when we think that we really aren't that bad? You know, we just need to believe. Hey, just believe in yourself, you can do it. What does the gospel say then? Well, the gospel humbles us and, and reminds us that we are so hopelessly lost and so wicked that Jesus Christ had to give his life so that we could be forgiven. That is how wicked that we were. So what does that do? Well, that humbles us, right? And hopefully it fills us with a heart of gratitude for the grace that's been given to us and motivates us then to want to be willing instruments in God's hands. You know, for failures, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You know, for those of you who are self-sufficient, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the gospel tells us both. Just imagine, just imagine if we as a church were a people who feared God so that we had a boldness and we didn't fear anything else. I mean, just imagine if we were a people who took our eyes off of ourselves and placed our eyes on God and saw him as the holy, powerful one worthy of our obedience and praise. I mean, just imagine if we took God's call in our lives seriously and we saw God, we saw people the way God sees them and we had compassion on them and we believed that they would remain in bondage and sin unless they hear the good news of the gospel. I mean, everything that's driving in this, this, this message is this. God has called us. Our mission is to make more and better disciples. He wants to partner together with us to accomplish that. The challenge this morning is this. Are you willing to say to God, whatever you want, I am yours. I love you. I trust you. I'll follow. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me in just this moment, just between you and, and the Lord. But let me just ask this, this question. I mean, is there something that's holding you back? Maybe it's a past failure. Maybe it's sin in your life. I mean, if, if that's true, if that's what comes to mind, I'm going to ask you to confess that to God. I mean, God knows. Confess it to God. And thank God that you can have, find forgiveness. Maybe, maybe this morning it's your pride. It's your, your agenda. And, and if that's so, be honest with God and admit. Admit that. And ask God for his grace. Or maybe like Moses, it's unbelief in God which causes you to struggle trusting in God. And if, if that's you, I would ask you again to repent. Tell God that, that, you, that you will obey, that you will follow. I don't know what God is saying to you this morning, but if he's saying any of those things, I'd encourage you to, to submit and, and to follow. God, we thank you so much that we get to, we get to see you in, in, the, in the Scripture. We get to see that you are a God who is, is the I am, that you're the all-powerful one. Lord, you're a God who doesn't need help from us at all. And yet, Lord, we read in the pages of Scripture that you have chosen us, that you have chosen and you want to partner together with us 
to reach this world. Well, we don't understand that. We certainly know you don't need us, but that's what you have chosen. And Father, you promise that you will go with us, that everything that we need, that we have. God, I pray, help us. Help us to not make excuses. But Lord, help us to be willing to be obedient, to trust you, to surrender ourselves to you, or follow you, to do what you want. We pray in Jesus' name. A number of years ago, one of my college students asked me to meet with them, and we, we went down to, to Ruby Tuesdays, and, and um, we chatted. And um, what, what he told me was this. He said he was, he was thinking about joining the Marines, trying to figure out what, he, what to do with his life. And I said, well, well why, why join the service? And he said, um, man, I, he said, I, I want to be a part of a community where there's just camaraderie, there's brotherhood, you know, we get to know each other, and, we, and, and I know that guys got my back, and we love each other, and we care about each other. Okay, okay. He said, also, I, I want a life of, of adventure. I, I want to go, and, and I want to make a difference with my life. And he said, I feel, really feel like that I, can, that I can do that. And you know, as I sat there and listened to him, the, the, the thought that came to my mind, that's the church. It should be the church. We should, we should have such a camaraderie and a relationship with one another that we, that we love each other and we got a brotherhood and a sisterhood that's going on here and we know somebody's got my back. And, you know, we don't want to just live a, a, a normal life. You know, we want a life, we want a life of adventure. And he's like, I want to make a difference. But, you know, I can't think of anything that makes a greater difference than sharing the gospel with somebody because that doesn't make just a difference for this life, but that makes a difference for all of eternity. And so we talked about that. Now what you think about that? That's what the church should be. And we're the ones who have that message. So as you're dismissed here today, go. Make a difference in our world for the kingdom, for all of eternity. You're dismissed.